All right. Uh, this is David Spence. I'm here in Nashville today with Jim Rossi and Chris Serkin, who are co-authors of a paper called Energy Exactions. Uh, and we're going to talk about your paper today. Um, so one of the things I like about this paper is it focuses on tools that local governments can use to try and promote one aspect of the green transition, which is sort of more efficient use of energy, and you highlight this idea of energy exactions as a tool that maybe is underused or could be used more by local governments to promote that goal. Can you start by telling us a little bit about what you mean by energy exactions? Sure. So, in fact, I think underused may be an overstatement. I think this essentially doesn't exist, um, but we it should, in our view. Um, exactions are commonplace, and let me step back and tell you what exactions are. Um, so I think uh, it's a pretty routine part of the land development process these days. Uh, when a developer uh, seeks permission to build some large new development, uh, to engage in some kind of negotiation with the local government for permission to build. Um, and sometimes these negotiations are ad hoc. Sometimes this is actually formalized and codified in a municipal zoning ordinance. But essentially what the municipality does is it prices the burdens of that new development on the municipality. Say burdens on schools, on roads, on wastewater. These are pretty conventional forms of congestion that a new development will impose on a local government. And so local governments seek to extract or exact some money from developers as part of the development process to offset those costs. And our proposal here is to extend that idea into burdens on energy infrastructure. So if you imagine an energy exaction could be a local fee on development that imposes a new burden on the energy system or limits on the timing of development that are designed to avoid strains on the energy uh, grid. And if we can impose these exactions or use this tool of energy exactions, this would give local governments a legitimate point of entry into energy planning that they may lack today. Right, and developers of new buildings would pay these uh, exaction fees uh, under your proposal? They would, although they would be paying based on the anticipated amount of net energy consumption that the new development would impose. So in our view, in the ideal world, depending on the pricing of these things, a developer wouldn't end up paying energy exactions, but would instead implement enough energy-saving technologies uh, or energy production solar of some kind that there wouldn't be a net increase in energy, in which case no exactions would be paid. So and if exactions are paid, that money would go into a fund that's used to support energy efficiency programs, community solar, other such energy projects at the local levels. And this ends up being a big contrast to how energy planning now occurs uh, with respect to the local government's decisions. They're largely outside of the energy planning process. A local government decides to move ahead with a project that increases energy consumption. It's generally assumed that the energy supply for that will follow the new load, right, um, in energy planning. But this really tries to put local governments front and center and give them a point of entry in that energy planning. Can you, 
and you give a little example or sort of a numbers example in the in the paper about the kind about the way this might work and uh, it's sort of a dollars per expected kilowatt hour of consumption that the de that the developer might expect the unit to to consume um, because your example involves a you know fairly significant amount of money that creates that incentive you were talking about to sort of design in the first place not to do that. It, essentially, the example we give is a dollar per kilowatt hour. Yeah. That translates roughly, based on average energy usage per household, to $10,000 per new home. Um, that is significant, but it's not out of line with what you see in jurisdictions like California, which now is requiring at the state level developers to include solar um, on new homes right. or to contribute funds. The average cost of those solar systems ends up being roughly $10,000. You, uh, in the paper, you acknowledge sort of two concerns about this proposal. One is the newcomers pay problem, and the other is just uh, the effect on housing costs, which in California, for example, is one of the considered to be one of the drivers of inequality. Can you talk a little bit about how you address those those two objections or concerns? Sure. As to the, the new user paying, I think that's part of the problem that we're trying to address. I think part of the problem right now is that we don't really think about the marginal burden of new growth at the local level uh, in terms of its impacts on the energy system. And the point of our proposal is really to place a price on the marginal change in a community energy use represented by the new project and therefore encourage communities to think about these issues proactively. Uh, the second uh, issue you mentioned is a, a very difficult one, um, one that connects to, I think, all land use regulation that imposes exactions. The question about who should bear the marginal costs of development is a deep normative question. Um, and yes, this will shift some costs to newcomers in a way that is likely to increase property values. Now, is that good or bad in the abstract? Uh, it depends from whose perspective you're viewing this, right? So if you have in mind local governments using tools like exactions and zoning to exclude outsiders and maintain some cloistered, gated community that is uh, offensively expensive and exclusionary, well, then we have a real concern about anything that pushes the scale in favor of those communities. On the other hand, um, another characterization here, we have plenty of communities in which I think it looks like rapacious developers are coming in and consuming scarce public goods, congesting our streets and our schools without any concern for the impact on community. Uh, in those situations, or through that lens perhaps, the idea of forcing the developer to internalize some of those costs of growth make a lot of sense. Now, which of these is correct? They're flip sides of the same coin. So what you need is a normative story to tell about who should bear the costs. I actually think that normative story is quite complicated when it comes to public goods like schools. I think it's actually easier to tell in the context of energy, where energy consumption imposes such enormous externalized costs on the world uh, that if we can force developers to internalize that marginal cost, I think that's a pretty compelling normative story for the use of exactions in this particular context. Yeah, and you also uh, sort of, uh, not necessarily argue, but speculate that there might be sort of a self-regulating element to this in the sense that everybody's going to want some new development, and if their exactions are set too high, um, they're going to 
price themselves out of, say, new commercial or whatever that it is they want to come into their town, and so that the, there's some there's some sort of it's not a race to the bottom, but a competitive pressure that might prevent people from really abusing this. In land tool. use, in land use scholarships, this idea um, was originally pioneered by uh, Vicki Bean, who's now the deputy mayor of New York City, is a law professor at NYU, and. A number of years ago, uh, Vicky looked at the legal protections that um, were in place to prevent local governments from extorting too much money from developers. And she posited that some of those legal protections may be more robust than they needed to be because there was a competitive constraint on local government's ability to impose extortionate exactions uh, in the form of exactly as you describe of wanting, if you want to attract some development, uh, you can't price these things too high. And in this context, I think there's an even additional uh, a check on local governments pricing things too high. Part of what this proposal does is it promotes a form of interjurisdictional competition between utility regulators, often at the state level, and local governments with respect to energy planning, right? And if local governments are too aggressive in pricing, that will incentivize state utility regulators and even state legislatures to step in and put limits on that and perhaps be more inclusive at the state level with respect to state governments or local governments involvement in utility planning. Yeah, and that's a good transition to sort of another set of questions here, which is that you, you described exactions as they're used now as compensation for costs that the municipalities themselves bear. This is tied really to a larger the larger grid, right? The, the burdens that, that new development places on a larger electric system, which depending on how you define the, that, that geographic space is, is definitely larger than the municipality, right? Unless you're in a a mini uh, microgrid that's just yeah. a municipality which doesn't really exist very many places. So can you can you talk a little bit about how you address that issue? And I know maybe we're getting into the legal issues here now a little well, bit. But well, before we get into the legal yeah. issue, and I think the legal issue is a really important issue about what is the relevant jurisdictional right. footprint that we ought to be paying attention to as we strike a balance and make these trade-offs, right? But before we get into that issue, I think it's important to recognize that the assumption in utility regulation is often that we've outsourced energy supply, that the local government has outsourced it to someone else, right? Upstream, uh, investor-owned utility, for example. So we'll build a new community. The energy is going to be there. The electrons will follow afterwards. We'll expand production or expand power supply to meet the needs of this community. We don't need to think about that at the front end. That's one of the starting places is that we've contracted that out. And I think that, um, for example, Shelley Welton, in her excellent article on municipalization, has framed the issue uh, with municipalization as a form of outsourcing when communities decide not to municipalize through outsourcing. And we're suggesting maybe there's a way of returning those decisions to make them internal to the community about power supply in the future that falls short of maybe municipalizing the full grid, right, that the local community can have these discussions of power supply without necessarily saying, we want to own the distribution grid ourselves. And, and when it comes to the question essentially of geographical scale, that is the local government is exacting um, costs or burdens that are imposed beyond the limits of its jurisdiction. I'd suggest that energy is not unique in that regard. In fact, right, efforts to exact money for transportation infrastructure, transportation, 
uh, obviously has consequences outside the limited jur- jurisdictional boundary of the local government imposing the exaction. I don't think it's qualitatively different than things that are currently um, subject to municipal exactions. So um, this, in the paper, you address some of the uh, le- legal challenges that others might raise to this that are, some of which are affiliated with the issue we're talking about right here. Can you just briefly summarize your sort of takeaway points on those legal issues? Well, one set of issues has to deal with whether state law authorizes a local government to impose exactions right, in the context of uh, energy. And this connects to local government law and when lo- local government laws, uh, local governments possess the authority to impose uh, uh, exactions. You have some difference across states here. We believe that in most jurisdictions, local governments probably have this authority. In additional jurisdictions, they might have to seek um, authorization from the state legislature. Another issue that comes up is whether state utility regulation would impose a limit on the ability of local governments to impose uh, exactions. Um, One objection here might be that this is a form of um, of utility, uh, the the local government stepping into the role of the utility. But as we try to argue in the article, this is short of uh, treating uh, the local government's decisions as the sale of electricity. Uh, This is not having the local government municipalize the system. Um, And since it's not the sale of electricity, um, the exaction itself wouldn't be regulated by the State Utility Commission. And there's a constitutional issue here as well. It might seem a little funny to invoke the Constitution in the context of energy exactions, but it's an important issue uh, that comes up in the land development process. Um, And it is the unconstitutional conditions doctrine, which is invoked in the context of land development. Uh, The trio of cases uh, are Nolan, Dolan, and Kuntz, and this is how people in the field refer to this doctrine. They say it's the Nolan, Dolan doctrine. Um, And basically what the Constitution is concerned with here is governments extorting developers uh, to pay much more than the burdens that their development will impose. So as a result, the Supreme Court has interpreted the uh, unconstitutional conditions doctrine in this context to require a local government to demonstrate that its exactions are both related to and proportional to the burdens that the development is going to impose. Now, that is going to create some constraints on pricing, in our view. That is, a government probably could not come along and say, we're going to charge $1,000 per kilowatt hour. There's going to have to be some showing of proportionality, probably. Um, But A, we think that that's pretty easily met, that a government can make a demonstration about the burdens of development on energy infrastructure. Um, And B, there is some real question out there whether the unconstitutional conditions doctrine even applies to legislated exactions that are adopted up front and explicitly as part of the development process. There's some uh, mainstream thought that the Nolan-Dolan cases are limited to the context in which the bargaining is ad hoc. They're worried about back 
backroom deals, not so much about municipal ordinances. So we think, in fact, that this is on pretty safe constitutional footing. What about a system where there's um, already lots of slack in the system? So you already have a lot of excess reserve generation and you have plenty of transmission and distribution. How would, you, how would your calculations work in a situation like that? The idea that there are some systems, uh, energy systems with excess capacity in which new development essentially uh, imposes very little marginal burden on the development. I think the power of our proposal is precisely its local nature. That is, the pricing doesn't have to be uniform. Uh, it can accommodate uh, those differences in ways that um, brings marginal pricing to bear in the development decisions and not just the energy supply decisions. Um, it also sort of gets at the, what the object of the exaction is. is. Is it about the burden on the system or is it about the sort of environmental impact you want to have? So, for example, if you're in California, in an ideal world 20 years from now, and almost all the energy is going to be green energy to begin with, um, you know, you could still have burdens placed on the transmission and distribution infrastructure, even if your reduced um, consumption doesn't really have much of an environmental effect because the energy being generated is so clean. Which I'm not sure if that's a question. That may just be an observation. Well, I think it's, yeah. about, I think yeah. it's about both. Yeah. It's probably also about community identity. Uh, yeah, as well, right. because I, different, I think different communities are going to put uh, a different um, value on how green they want to be in terms of their uh, community's uh, commitments and investments. And it's worth uh, pointing out that there's another very important article uh, in this space by uh, Peter Byrne on what he called climate exactions, where his goal was explicitly to price carbon uh, into development decisions, and he wanted to include vehicle miles traveled, he wanted to include location decisions. Um, we think that's an awfully interesting and good idea, uh, but focusing on narrowly on energy, um, we think is easier to actually operationalize and price than the broader idea of carbon exactions. Our proposal is also deeper, I think, because it goes beyond environmental harms. It goes to energy planning more broadly, even those beyond environmental harms. And so I think is a useful tool uh, beyond the important but still narrower context of just climate change and climate exactions. And in terms of energy planning, I think there are a few other benefits that we haven't mentioned. One is the decentralizing, the risk-taking involved in investing in new power supply. And the extent we can um, uh, incentivize local governments to make investments uh, along these lines, that might produce some diversification of risk uh, benefits. Um, it tends to favor newer technologies, and it also puts uh, customer energy resources front and center in the decision-making process. And, and what's exciting about this is, at least in a number of states, we think that this tool is available to local governments right now an entrepreneurial local government who cares about energy and climate change and the Green New Deal or transition to clean energy, they could implement this tomorrow without having a vote on municipalization. Right, right. Well, anyway, thanks very much for sitting down to talk to me. Thank you. Thank you very much. For inviting us. It's been a pleasure.